Welcome to New Creation, a home for the creative community of Los Angeles. For more information, visit our website at newcreationla.com. And now, the sermon. Well, church family, today we begin a new series and a new book of the Bible, the book of Acts. And this is an exciting book. It is full of adventure, of journeys, of conversions, and miracles. It's a picture of how Jesus is at work now, extending his kingdom, bringing grace, bringing salvation, and bringing joy to the ends of the earth. So, this exciting book Let's dig in. I want to give us first just a little bit of uh, background. First, the author. So the author of this book is Luke, the same author that wrote the Gospel of Luke. And Luke, we know, was a physician. So he is Dr. Luke. And Dr. Luke is commissioned, he is financed by a guy named Theophilus to go and collect data. Uh, He, uh, uh, Theophilus, is known in the book of Luke as most excellent Theophilus. So um, probably none of you are known by the title most excellent. I'm not either. But uh, most excellent, especially in the ancient world, was a position of prominence, uh, a position of power. And so this guy, Theophilus, finances uh, this... Uh, endeavor to go first in the book of Luke to uh, interview eyewitnesses, to do investigative reporting, and then in uh, now the book of Acts to uh, be a member of kind of the entourage that sees the church expand in the kingdom. And so Dr. Luke, uh, we also know, was a companion of the Apostle Paul in his missionary journeys. And again, Paul, we know, went through a whole lot of stuff, so it makes a lot of sense to have a doctor at his side as he's in prison, as he's sick, as he's shipwrecked, as he's dealing with uh, all kinds of different things, as he's beaten. What a thing to have a doctor there with him. And so uh, the book of Acts is really volume two. Volume one is the Gospel of Luke. Volume two is the book of Acts. And so these go together. Same author, they pick uh, right up. So Acts is a continuation of the Gospel of Luke. Picks up right where Luke left off. All right, so uh, Luke, in writing these two books, the Gospel of Luke and Acts, actually wrote more of the New Testament than any other writer wrote more content even than the Apostle Paul. So we've got this incredible book, and it's called Acts. What does that mean? Acts, actions, right? So the actions of who, you might say. Well, traditionally, the book has also been known as, it's not in the title, uh, this is not part of, uh, of God's word, but it was known as the Acts of the Apostles. However, there's really only two apostles that it describes their acts in this book, and that's Peter 
and Paul. So that's maybe a little bit of a unfair category to say the Acts of the Apostles when it's really just detailing two guys. Uh, others have said, you know what, this is about the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And it is true, we are going to see the Spirit moving and working throughout this book. But to limit it to just that, I think, also cuts it short. And so I'm going to propose this, that we look at this book as the acts of God. The acts of God through the Son of God, by the Spirit of God, in the people of God. I think that'll give us a much more rounded understanding of what these acts are. And so what we see in that really is the Trinity, right? The Trinity is who God is. God is a relationship of three persons in one God. There's nothing else like him. There's no analogy that we can give that won't break down. Uh, there is mystery in who God is, but he is three persons in one God. And so again, in this book, we see God the Father, acting through God the Son, by God the Spirit, in his people for the world. That is the book of Acts. Okay, so let's jump in and take a look at the actions here. And so this book basically starts after the resurrection. Let's take a look at our first two verses, again, from Acts chapter 1. First two verses. There it says, in the first book, again referring to the book, of Act, uh, the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Okay, so volume one, the Gospel of Luke, ends with the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. Volume 2 then begins with this more expanded view of the ascension. And it starts off telling us this about uh, the content of the first book. So just a little recap. It's like when we watch a show uh, you know, on Netflix and we haven't seen anything since last season and so it gives us that recap. So we get a little recap. And so uh, the recap is volume 1, the gospel was about all Jesus began to do and teach. John Calvin, one of the fathers of the Reformation, uh, called this pairing of what Jesus does and what Jesus teaches, he calls it the holy knot. That those two things have to be brought together in this holy knot. All that Jesus does and teaches. And you cannot separate those two things. You can't untie the words of Jesus from the actions of Jesus. But the fact is, many people do want to do that and try to do that. Many people say, oh, I love the actions of Jesus. He's, he's so compassionate. He's so loving. Look at how he heals people. Look at how he feeds crowds. Love it. Look at how he even raises people from the grave. Love, 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 right? And the fact is, Jesus was never killed for the things he did. He was killed for the things that he said. And we cannot separate those things. You can't untie the words from those actions. And the words that he says are this, I am God. 
You are sick. You are in need of a physician. I forgive sins, and you are a sinner. So we can't untie those incredible actions of Jesus with these incredible words of Jesus. So again, volume one gives us this summary uh, where Luke says in the first book, in the Gospel of Luke, he dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And what is amazing just in this first sentence is how he summarizes the Gospel in Jesus. That the core of the Gospel is all about what Jesus has done. It's not about you. It's not about a bunch of rules. It's not a guide on how to be a good person, how to become your best self. No, it is a record of what Jesus did and what he said, what he taught. And Christianity is so different from any other world religion because it is centered in a person. And this first sentence gets right at it, that it deals with Jesus, the person. And if we take away the person, then we have nothing, right? And in pretty much every other world religion, if we take away any of the, the people, we still have, you know, a philosophy, right? But in Christianity, if we take away Jesus, we have nothing. We have nothing. So it is centered on him. And here's the other amazing thing, is that every other religious founder completes their work in their lifetime. And Luke here says this, that Jesus only began his. And so volume two, the book of Acts, is the continuation of Jesus's work, who is now in heaven. All right, let's take a look at verse three. Verse 3 tells us this, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. All right, so here's where uh, Dr. Luke wants to go. He wants to start with this. When I start this new book, first message, Jesus is alive. That is the starting place. Now, for us, maybe that doesn't fall on our ears uh, that crazy because we've heard it so much. We believe it. But for the people of that time, the resurrection of a Messiah was not something that was believed. There are some Jewish people who didn't believe in any kind of resurrection. And then, on the other hand, there's Jewish people that believed in a general resurrection that would come at the, the end of the age, at the, the end of time. But no one believed in the resurrection of the Messiah. And so the disciples don't see the resurrected Jesus and say, ah, I knew it, I knew it. Jesus has to prove it to them. And so Dr. Luke tells us many proofs he gave after his suffering, after his death. Now, the Greek word for this proofs is solidified. It is ironclad evidence that leaves no shred of doubt. 
And so it says, uh, Jesus gave these kinds of proofs for 40 days. What were they? Well, uh, we have some of them recorded. He appeared to individuals. He appeared to groups. He ate with people, right? That's a pretty good proof. Sitting down, eating breakfast. Wow, you, uh, you're alive, aren't you? I can see you eating. Okay, that's a good proof. Uh, he taught people. So um, these are just some of the proofs that he gave. Uh, let's take a look at John 20, and we're going to look at two verses, 25 and 27. And I think there you'll get a sense of the unbelief of resurrection. And so this is the account of Thomas. And so Thomas hears of the resurrection of Jesus, and he says, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Then a couple verses down, Jesus, appearing to Thomas, says to him, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve but believe. Okay, so these guys needed evidence, and they got it. Jesus gave it to them for 40 days. It wasn't just one siding. It didn't happen all of a day. It happened over the course of 40 days. Now, the resurrection is the ultimate proof that what Jesus said um, is true. The resurrection is what ties a bow in that holy knot. It ties the knot of his works and his words together into the most beautiful bow. And so now, Jesus, in these 40 days, as he's proved that he's alive, he's been teaching them about the kingdom. Isn't it amazing that he still has more to teach them? Okay, so let's take a look at verses Four and five. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Okay, so Jesus is alive. Good. Now what? Now what are we supposed to do? They've heard some additional teaching on the kingdom. They think, okay, we've got it. Let's go, right? But Jesus says, wait. Wait. I want you to stay in Jerusalem because guess what? There is still something that you need, and that is the Holy Spirit. This is the gift that was promised long ago. Um, Let's take a look at where that gift was promised. First, in Joel 2, verse 28. And I want to remind you, this was written around 400 B.C., 400 years before Christ. Uh, Joel 2 says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. If we jump ahead to Isaiah 44, 3, this 700 years before Jesus for I will pour water on the thirsty land 
and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offering and my blessing on your descendants. And then we have, of course, Jesus quoting John the Baptist from Luke 3, verse 16. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so this idea, this promise is not something new, it is something ancient. And so Jesus said, you need to wait for it. You need to stay in Jerusalem and wait for the promised spirit. Why do they need the Holy Spirit to accomplish their mission? Well, I want to argue this because Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to accomplish his mission. Think about it this way. Jesus is conceived by what? The power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, he gets up and he opens the scroll in the temple to Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives. At the baptism of Jesus, the Spirit of God publicly descends upon Jesus. And right after that, Jesus is led out into the wilderness by the Spirit to face the temptation of the devil. In Romans, in Romans 8, the resurrection is attributed to the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I heard a pastor once kind of use this analogy about Jesus. And he said, do you ever feel like Jesus is cheating? You know, we hear that he, uh, he never sinned. And we think, well, yeah, he's God, right? Of course he didn't sin, right? You know, he never uh, was uh, fell to temptation. Well, yeah, that's because he's God, right? But uh, the analogy goes like this. It's kind of like Superman, right? You see Clark Kent uh, walking down the street, and he catches a bullet. And you think, well, of course Clark Kent caught the bullet because it's Superman under there. Like, he's got all the power. Superman can do it. But here's the thing, that Jesus does not cheat. He doesn't just sort of tap into his divinity to catch the bullet. What Jesus does is he draws on the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit filling him that enables him to accomplish his mission. And so if Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to accomplish his mission, how much more do his apostles need the Holy Spirit to accomplish their mission? How much more do we need the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says, wait. I want you to wait in Jerusalem. So he, he gives this message, and then the disciples ask this question. Let's take a look at verse 6. So when they had come together, 
they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? All right, this is kind of an awkward question. They're, they're having this moment, right? All this amazing stuff has happened. And they ask this question that really is a political question. Now, it's not totally out of left field because the prophets had regularly linked God pouring out his spirit with the time of Israel's restoration. But it is a narrow view of what Israel is, of who Israel is. And so uh, to give us a sense of just how political this question is, I think it might help to rephrase the question with a little bit more modern political language. It's if they ask, Lord, will you at this time make Israel great again? I think that helps us just feel the, the politicalness of the question. And so here's how Jesus responds. Let's take a look at verses 7 and 8. He said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So what the apostles were expecting was liberation from Rome. And Jesus tells them as he clarifies the mission, my kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, not a political kingdom. I'm going to transform people. I'm going to transform people's spiritual state, their hearts, their motivations, and their lives. The apostles were expecting a national kingdom. But Israel would become something much bigger than a national kingdom. It would become a spiritual kingdom. It would become a global kingdom of faith, of repentance, and forgiveness. And we hear in Revelation that it will be fully consummated with every tribe, tongue, and nation confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. It is so much bigger than a national kingdom. It is so much bigger than a political kingdom. And the apostles were also expecting an immediacy to the kingdom's establishment. But Jesus, in clarifying the, uh, the mission, tells them this. The kingdom will grow gradually. It's going to start local in Jerusalem, Judea. And then it's going to work its way out, Samaria. And then it's going to work its way out to the end of the earth. The globe is the goal of this. And these guys couldn't even wrap their heads around that. Nobody had a globe at that time. Nobody realized, oh, this thing's going to Los Angeles. This thing's going to Burbank. They had no idea, but Jesus did. The kingdom would expand. It would start local, and it would grow gradually into a global kingdom. 
And so he gives them this directive. He says, don't be concerned with time. Uh, don't, be discern, uh, don't be concerned with the when of this. That is not for you to know. You, know, you want to know when it's all happening? You know what? Don't. Don't worry about it. Those are secret things that only God knows. Here's what I want you to be concerned with. I want you to be concerned with the what and the where. Here's the what. Here's your mission. You are my witnesses. Notice it's not a command. He doesn't say, be my witnesses. He says, you are my witnesses. That's the mission. It's to be faithful witnesses. And so to, or in order to witness well, in order to witness faithfully, he says, you are going to need power. You are going to need the power of the Holy Spirit. Now think about what uh, a witness does. Think about it in the court of law, right? We need evidence. Call a witness. Call a witness to come and testify about what has happened. Oh, there was this traffic accident, right? Okay, call a witness. What did you see? Well, I was standing on the corner and I saw this thing happen, right? And so that is what Jesus is telling the apostles. You're to extend that witness, not to a courtroom, but to the ends of the earth. You are to give the testimony of what Jesus did and said. And so our primary testimony is the same. It is the holy knot of those two things, what Jesus did and what he taught it's this, that he lived a life we never could and that he died the death that we deserve. He rose from the grave and he is now seated at the right hand of God the Father, ruling and reigning. And he will one day return to this earth and bring an end to all that is wrong, ending all sin, ending all death, all mourning, all crying, all pain. That is the testimony of Jesus. That is the good news of Jesus. And so our witness is declaring that and it is living for him. It's obeying his commands. It's loving God and loving others. Our witness is repentance and forgiveness. Our witness is a joy that goes even beyond our circumstances. And as we will learn in the book of Acts, sometimes our witness is to suffer and to suffer well. And so that means this, that our witness is a life that has to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. It has to draw on the power of the Holy Spirit to become more and more like Jesus. And it starts locally. It starts in our backyards with our neighbors, with our friends, with our coworkers, with our family. And it moves throughout the region, right? That's why we want to plant more churches. We want to see it extend with who we have now and build our church and then plant other churches to extend it through the region. And then we want to see it go globally to the ends of the earth. 
And so that means that we are uh, to be faithful witnesses, sharing our faith, sharing our testimony, not by our power, but by the Spirit's power. All right, let's jump to verse 9. We move to the ascension. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Okay, so Jesus has been appearing and reappearing for 40 days. Why the ascension? Well, if he's leaving, they need a clear departure to understand. Right? So Jesus, in his earthly ministry, works locally, one life at a time, one crowd at a time, one miracle at a time. But for Jesus to now work globally, he must transition to the throne over all creation. He must ascend into heaven to the Father's right hand. And there he can continue what he began, now working by his spirit throughout all creation. And so this ascension is a historical event. Right? They're all there talking, and then all of a sudden, this heavenly chariot, the cloud, comes and it takes him. And Luke tells us they saw it. They looked upon it. Eyewitnesses saw this thing happen. And so they're there, they're, they're looking up. He's gone. Did you see that? Yeah, I saw it. He's gone. We all saw it. And as they're, they're looking up, gazing up into heaven, let's take a look at what happens in the next two verses. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so these two men in white robes, these are angels. And they, they see the apostles just staring up and they say, Hey, fellas, don't look up. Your gaze should no longer be looking up. Your job now is to look out. Look outward. Look out with compassion and with love upon this lost world and be witnesses to the good news. Jesus told you what to do. Now you need to do it. So wait for the Holy Spirit, for the power, and then go and be his empowered, faithful witnesses. And we'll leave you with this. The fact that you saw him go up is the assurance that he will return. That has also been prophesied from a long time ago. Daniel, book of Daniel, chapter 7, verse 13, which was written 530 B.C., says, With the clouds of heaven there came one like the Son of Man. He will come back just as you saw him go on the clouds. So church family, let me leave us with this. What an incredible 
introduction to this book, these first 11 verses. And here's what I want you to take away. One, we have a Savior who is alive. Jesus is alive and he has ascended to heaven. He rules from the throne of heaven by his spirit. The work that Jesus began in his ministry on earth is still continuing. It's continuing in you and it's continuing in me. That means Jesus is at work right now. That means he's working when we read our Bibles, when we pray, when we worship, when we repent, when we forgive, and in everything that we do, Jesus is at work. Secondly, Jesus has given his church a mission. He says, you are my witnesses. Uh, A few nights ago, Kirsten was leaving and she had a roast prepared and said, I need you to put this in when I'm gone. I said, okay, no problem. Just do that one thing. Great. And I got busy and I got sidetracked and she got home and she said, why is the roast still on the counter? Like you were supposed to put the roast in like, oh, I forgot. Right? I got busy. I got wrapped into other things. Well, church, I pray that this is not our testimony. Jesus has given us a mission, and it's so easy for us to get sidetracked, for us to be busy and lose sight of the one thing that he has told us to do, that we are his witnesses. And I want to remind us of this, that we've been given power to accomplish Jesus's mission in receiving the Holy Spirit through faith in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. And so the life of Jesus is not meant to be just admired, which again is so easy to do. We read our Bibles and go, wow, Jesus, amazing, so good. But the goal is that the life of Jesus would be experienced. God wants us to experience the power of Jesus through his spirit. And it's power not to accomplish our New Year's resolutions or be the best that we can be. He gives us power for his mission, to be his faithful witnesses in spreading his gospel to the ends of the earth not in just places like Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, but to the ends of the earth, places like Los Angeles, like Burbank, like Glendale, like Eagle Rock, like Sherman Oaks, like North Hollywood, like Hollywood, like Tarzana, those places, the ends of the earth. And so over the next few months, we're going to go through this book and we'll see how Jesus's witnesses received power, and how the kingdom spread. And I pray that that will be an encouragement to us to experience the same. Amen? Let's pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for this work, this record, this historical record of eyewitnesses to what you have begun. We thank you for this beautiful picture of 
your kingdom that is not political, that is not national, but Lord, that is spiritual, that is global, and that will last for all eternity, and that will come in fullness when you return on the cloud. And so, Lord, give us power today by your Spirit to accomplish your mission. Give us power as your people to be faithful witnesses in this place that you have us at the ends of the earth. We ask it all in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this sermon and encourage you to become a regular member of our online community. To find out more about the church, visit our website at newcreationla.com.